Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where a couple of old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon series. In order, asterisk, editor's note in a moment on that. And then we uh, come back and talk about what we saw from the perspective of two people who grew up with the show. We watched it as children. We talk about how we experienced it as young people. And then we talk about how we feel about it as grownups today. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist. And the other host is named Hoover of Steel. (laughs) So that's City of Hoover. Not City of Hoover, not Hoover of paper, not Hoover of grass, not Hoover of wood. Wood. Just not Hoover of plastic, just Hoover of steel. Hoover of steel. That's what anniversary we are on right now <laughs> as, we, as we get to this episode, which is, what is this, episode 19 of the series? I put an asterisk on that in order business at the top because somebody tuning in is undoubtedly scrolling along they're with like, our feed. Hey. And I, yeah, they're like, I'm on Tubi TV and I just watched Changing Gears and City of Steel is not the next episode. <laughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, we just loved this episode so much. We just couldn't <laughs> stay away. We had to jump ahead. I feel like you're telegraphing how we really feel about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> is that I believe Tubi TV has the aired order of the episodes, and we are going by script order, which keeps things a little more in line story-wise. It's Script order is not perfect. We had mm-hmm. to make some deviations from that as well. But if you ever need to know what episode will be next, we will always say at the end of the episode which one we're covering next. And also we're going to have a list of our order on the Facebook group if you want to join that. So you'll never be clueless about what we're going to be covering because the 2BTV.order is pretty different in season two. But I think you'll find if you go with our order, it makes a little bit more sense. There won't be new characters appearing and then disappearing because for the most part, these early episodes of season two were still dealing with like the season one cast. Yeah. I'm, I'm as, as we, re-engage with this early second season of the show i'm that's one of the first top level down observations i would make is i'm surprised by how many season one characters remain main characters Mm because my my memory of for some reason i like i have a handful of season two episodes that i go back to from time to time but i i haven't sat through and watched all of season two in a row probably in a decade Mm -hmm. and so my memory got hazy and it's just like oh well at one point in season two it's just like all the new toys just walked into the scene right. and pushed out poor Mirage and Trailbreaker. <laughs> yeah. Gears is like, hey, you guys, quit shoving. <laughs> Powerglide's like, you had your episode. <laughs> now it's time for me to like explore some interspecies romance. <laughs> this is also to, it's like, while one of the conceits of the show is that you and I very joyfully sort of theorize and rationalize a lot of the weird inconsistencies and contradictions that come out of a show that's made by so many different people mm-hmm. so rapidly. Yeah. That having the conversation about where this episode actually falls in the storyline is not as exciting 
of a conversation to have, I don't <laughs> think. So like it's like, yeah, we're not really talking about them in the order that we would have experienced them as children. Mm-hmm. But this is leaving us room to have the more interesting conversations as to like where did frenzy come from? Right. What the heck's the deal with reflector? Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, in season two, there's not a lot of origin stories. It's there's a lot of people just showing up. So <laughs> the order becomes a little bit more important because they're not gonna be going like Hey, who's that Autobot? Oh, I'm Omega Supreme. You know, I come from this place, and here's my backstory. It's not a lot of that. It's a lot of like, well, let's go talk to Omega Supreme. Of course, why not? He's our friend, and he always has been. You know, <laughs> a lot of that stuff. There's smokescreen over there. Who's always been there? Mm-hmm. You know, what? What? Why, why are you acting confused, viewer? <laughs> Right. It's not us, it's you. You're the one who was missing things. He was always there. So much of that. It's There's way too much of that, if you ask me. It's like, I understand that you don't want to have everyone have their own special little origin story. I mean, not everyone deserves a whole episode wrapped around them, but somebody does. I mean, I don't think, in my memory, I don't think a single Decepticon, besides the Combiner teams, get an origin in Season 2, like the new Season 2 characters. They just show up. Yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, we'll get to that stuff down the line. Yeah, right now and, we're and, talking about City of Steel. City of Steel, which, okay, I have a couple 10,000 foot up observations to make before we dive into like walking through the plot of this one. One is, is that I've often heard writers get interviewed about, oh, by the way, who wrote this one? Douglas Booth. Another Boothian oh, episode, perhaps. A, a Boothian episode, as in, let's remind the listeners what episodes Douglas Booth wrote and how we responded to them. Roll for it. The oh, debut of Chip Chase. Yay. Fire on the Mountain. Oh, hooray. Probably my favorite season one episode. Yeah, you look real geeky today. <laughs> Plague of Insecticons. Uh, hey. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. Yeah. So this is surely going to be another one of our favorites, right? Ooh, ooh. Uh, hey, where did all those crickets come from? <laughs> oh, I did not have fond memories of this episode. <laughs> and coming back to it, I was like, well, I usually show up with a more forgiving <laughs> attitude to children's entertainment. As long as it like, makes sense to kids and has kid logic, I'm usually, you know, I'm there for it. And man, there's a lot of weird stuff in this one. <laughs> there's a lot of goofy stuff in this episode. However, I will say... As I was watching it again, I was thinking, well, Hoover probably enjoys the fact that we're finally getting some character development with the Constructicons, or at least, <laughs> if not character development, at least explaining the differences between these characters. Yeah, which they <laughs> didn't really bother to do in their first appearance. Right. And this is only their second appearance, so. Wow. And then if I were to make a, like another like big observation is I've heard a lot of interviews with writers over the years where a lot of times they'll talk about like where the genesis of a story that they wrote came from. And a lot of times they talk about some kind of arresting image. They call this aesthetic arrest. And like something you see connects with you on some kind of visceral level and you don't know why until you sit down to write about it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just you know that it haunts you. It, it grabs you in some way. The guy who wrote the screenplay for Once said in an interview, that the movie Once, about the, that musical movie, and he said, like, I just wanted to write a story about a guy who, and a gal who have, like, a deep friendship uh, bordering on romance, and he buys her a piano. You know, it's like, that was the central idea, you know? And so, like, when I, as I was watching this one, I was like, I had this picture in my head of Douglas Booth sitting in his office, possibly in New York City, or maybe he has family or friends in New York City, and he's looking at this Devastator toy, and he has, like, one of the mini bots there, and he's like, boy, wouldn't it be fun to do Devastator 
as King Kong carrying around a little robot. And I'm betting, I'm betting that's where this whole plot came out of because there's not a lot of stuff that connects together all that. Mm-hmm. It is Boothian. There's a lot of different things happen, but I just feel like there isn't a whole lot of actually like MacGuffin chasing in this one. <laughs> yeah. What do I mean? Let's read the log line for this one. Here we go. Megatron has decided to turn New York City into new Cybertron. Optimus Prime is captured, and his body is made into multiple parts of the city's defense system? (laughs) Did this just get like the Cybertronian version of like a Cronenberg film? (laughs) That's kind of haunting. That's kind of weird. Yeah, his body is made into multiple parts of the city's defense system. Like you, you say that out loud, and it sounds like <laughs> we're back in season one with like some really serious stuff, right? But, well, it sounds like a ripoff of a GI Joe episode. Remember when a Cobra Commander ripped off Duke's arm and put it oh, on yeah. the door of the Cobra Temple, so the arm <laughs> would just punch any Joe that tried to come through. But then he didn't realize that like Duke's DNA is so antithetical to Cobras that every time a Cobra guard tried to walk by, it would just punch the guy, the, the Cobra guard. Well, then there's the big reveal at the end where a Cobra commander has Duke's legs grafted onto the side of his own <laughs> legs. He's just going around kicking everyone. No, okay, we're making that up. <laughs> what the where did that come from? <laughs> I'm just explaining the plot. <laughs> you can do a lot of things with robots that you can't do with people. That's true. That's very true. So yeah, I guess I guess like you're you're highlighting just how darn weird this one is. <laughs> just man, this is a weird episode. And and yeah, it's it's one of those ones when I'm like in relaxed company, and if somebody is to ask me like, what's your least favorite episode? I think this is the one I always go to. <laughs> And, and I'm going to say least favorite. I'm not going to say the worst episode. I'm just going to say, like, if I had to pick one that I like less than all the other ones, it's that one. Because there is stuff that I like in this one. I will say that. But tell me, Hoover, please tell me that as this episode opens, we get Victor Caroli back. Because we've been missing him for a while. <laughs> I'm afraid I cannot tell you he's here. He is gone. He is oh. not here. He's not gone forever. He's just not on this episode. Okay. I guess. <laughs> We don't even get that little shot in the arm. (laughs) So why does this one start? Well, we open on a pan of the New York City skyline, and we see all the familiar landmarks, such as the Twin Towers and the Statue of Liberty, making it extra clear where we are. Because like we said, no Victor Caroli to say, in New York City. (laughs) A sinister new form of life approaches. (laughs) And suddenly the music turns intense as Laserbeak flies across the screen. And we see him use his eye lasers to open a manhole cover in the ground, which seems Ugh. to telekinetically lift up somehow. Oh, so weird. That bothered me at first, but then it didn't, and I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So he dives down below the streets, flies into the sewers until he gets to a steel door, and then he uses his eye lasers again, opening the door. He enters, transforms, and flies into the waiting cassette deck of Soundwave. Behind him, we see Hook, Scavenger, and Scrapper arguing about who did the hardest work building this new headquarters until Megatron enters. Silence! I want you working, not nagging at each other like hyper-driven chatteroids! Hyper-driven chatteroids. I think that came on Fox Kids between Superhuman Samurais and Big Bad Beetleborgs, didn't it? (laughs) 
Hyper-driven Hyper-driven chatteroids. Sponsored by. <laughs> Sponsored by Surge. <laughs> <laughs> they all rode around on skateboards too, right? Of course. The 90s, <laughs> we all did. <laughs> oh, Douglas Booth. Uh, was, was he taking a, a page from Donald F. about uh, mm-hmm. writing weird expressions of uh <laughs> cybertronian language there's a couple different weird phrasings in this one and like nobody's mentioning astroseconds or astro leaders it's like all that just got thrown out the window and now it's like we're just gonna make up whatever words we want chatteroids <laughs> come on down to the chatteroid farm you know mm-hmm. where you, you can hear the musical sounds of the chatteroids there's plenty of things for kids to do too so yeah what does this scene look like as we're listening to the already scrapper sounds different like he's it's still michael bell but mm-hmm. There's something different about his performance, and there's something different about the way the whole scene looks. Yeah, things do look very off. And spoiler alert, this episode is one of a couple season two episodes that are animated by a different company named Acom. And they're not very good. Everyone looks like... They kind of look like the generic store brand. Like if you go to buy, I don't know, like some popular coffee say and they're out and you have to get the store brand it's like sometimes they make the package it kind of looks like the one i'm after but it's clearly not that's what this whole <laughs> instead of cocoa feels puffs like. it's cocoa mm-hmm. comets yes that's <laughs> cereal is a great analogy cereal always has those weird knockoffs that are very similar or or a soda <laughs> like uh, I came to get Dr. Pepper, but I had to get Dr. Thunder. <laughs> I actually really, my favorite of all was when I lived in Texas. No, it was when I lived in Phoenix. Uh, and Ann and I went to a Basha's and they had their store brand of uh, hamburger helper was called Panburger Partner. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it just to have the box. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, we still refer to each other every once in a while as our panburger partners. This is my panburger partner, man. <laughs> so yeah, this is store brand Transformers. This is panburger partner Transformers. <laughs> okay, can can I talk? Because like, I I like made some notes on like what I was noticing that was different about the art. Go for it. So first of all, my first observation is, and I sent this to you before we started recording, there was an old VHS ad that ran in comic books in the 80s advertising the FHE cassettes for Transformers. And it just featured a bunch of the robots like standing in a row. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing that art and thinking it looked good when I was a kid, but there was just something weird about it. I couldn't put my finger on it. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I realized, oh, you know, their head to body ratios are different than what we had been seeing in season one. Mm-hmm. If you look carefully, Megatron's most of the Transformers, but it's particularly noticeable on Megatron, his head is much bigger mm-hmm. than it had been in previous episodes. Like they talk about in like how to draw comics the Marvel way, like a superhero proportion is like what, eight and a half heads high or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, so they, they talk about heads high for like the different kinds of like the like character proportions. And it feels like Megatron went down to like six heads high in this mm-hmm. one. That's the first thing I noticed. Second thing I noticed is if you look at the art in season one, even in like the previous first couple episodes of season two, a lot of times they'll do shading on the characters where there will be a light and a shadow surface, but there will also be a reflection, sort of like a flash of light that runs across a lot of the surfaces. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like a reflective little band of some sort that goes across the metallic surfaces. That is gone in this. Now we just have light and shadow. 
And the third thing I notice is that this is, it feels like it's more saturated. Like the greens are greener, the grays are grayer, the reds are redder. If you look at, again, at season one, they're brightly colored, but they're just a little bit less, they're a little bit more muted than what we see in City of Steel. So it gives the entire episode a younger, softer, kind of more toyetic feel, which, you know, on the one hand, you'd think like, wow, I'll celebrate that. Then the other thing I'll say, and I'll point out some scenes where this happens, is something we talked about in Ultimate Doom in particular is you can have clunky animation that still feels gorgeous if you stage your shots and work out your blocking and composition really well. Yeah. Like the scene of Braun smashing through the wall saying, I'll get the door, is mm-hmm. a great looking scene because of the way that they framed the shot. This one, it feels like that framing, it feels more like... Saturday morning cartoons, Ruby Spears cartoons, like Rubik and the Amazing Cube, the Pups Adventure, Sat- like the CBS Saturday afternoon cartoon specials. It has that kind of serviceable, clear, easy to follow storytelling, but it's not very dynamic. It's always kind of perpendicular, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. the camera never like tilts or anything. It's just like, it's almost like someone set up a camera and left it. You know, well, sometimes there's the occasional pan, but there's never like an exciting camera movement or, you know, it, it slips sideways or something What's like weird that. is I watched it carefully and there's a ton of movement in this. There is so much movement in this episode, but it's always shot on the horizontal or at like mm. a three quarter down shot, right? Like axiometric perspective, I think is the way that it's pronounced, you know, like Sim City, where everything is like on, where it's, it's not like proper perspective, but it's like sort of like, like a game board perspective. Mm. And, and whenever the Transformers are standing, they're standing in their model sheet pose. Nobody's yeah. standing in any kind of like to give you a sense of them being alive or mm-hmm. like because like again animation in season one there's a lot of episodes where it's not that great and the movement's really clunky and choppy and low frame rate but when the characters are standing around they're often not just standing in their model sheet pose mm-hmm. i'm coming at this from the perspective of a comic book artist who is always looking for that way of suggesting that the characters are breathing so like you draw a character in such a way just a little a little bit off balance so they feel like they're moving even though they're obviously are because it's a comic Mm-hmm. Season one does this a lot. This episode doesn't do it at all. And I think that that makes something where there is a lot of movement feel more static, which is weird. Yeah. And you'd think, oh, model sheet pose, they must be more on model in this episode, right? No. What we're saying is they're using the model sheet poses because they can't come up with their own poses. Like they're not confident enough artists. Like if you look in Plague of the Insecticons, Megatron is just leaning against the wall. Yeah. And it looks as natural as can be. Mm-hmm. But this, if Megatron has to stand, he's like in his model sheet pose. So it's like they had to copy it as closely as they could because they couldn't naturally draw it. It's like when you have a good artist on a comic book and then the good artist leaves and then a <laughs> third person comes in to do the art and he's like, oh, I'll just copy what the last guy did. And it's so clear that it's not natural for them. They're just like clearly aping shots that the last artist did and stuff like that. It feels a lot like that. Mm. Yeah, and I can it's, see. It's very store brand. It feels like that. Yes, I agree. And 
I can't speak to the reason why because I wasn't there, but I, I can only just point out like how it feels as a, from a viewer standpoint. I can, I have, you know, I can hypothesize a little bit, but when you think about like in Countdown to Extinction, where there's that scene where Starscream is impatiently waiting for the timing mechanism to go off to blow up the earth. And like they got him like sitting at a desk with his elbows in the desk and he's got his head in his hands. You know, he's like got his like his, his chin is resting on the palm of his hand. Yeah. It's like, and he's not really moving that much, but it feels like, okay, that's a living thing. Right. But in this, if you ever see Starscream, he's standing in his model sheet pose. Mm-hmm. Except and they like, look like statues. They don't yeah. look like living creatures. Yeah. So I think that that's contributing to making this episode not as fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would guess that you could you could do the look and feel of this with like the the lack of like highlights and like the different proportion bodies and have it work just fine. I mean, Transformer Cyberverse is a serviceable cartoon and they have much more cartoony proportions in that show. So, mm-hmm. but it just this just sticks out so much compared to what we've been getting. Like imagining again, think of like Heavy Metal War, Megatron gracefully dodging all of those laser blasts from the Autobots. Yeah. And now we see him, and he's just always standing yeah. in his model sheet pose, except for one part where he laughs in a little bit, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But so anyway, so you said at the top of this one that like these season two episodes were really produced quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean there was a big rush, especially I think at the beginning of season two. It's like, okay, we're gonna need your script. Well, here's my first draft. It's like, oh, no time for second drafts. We're done. It's like, yeah. so I think a lot of these writers were under pressure to get these things turned in and turned in right away. So again, if we sound like we're slagging Doug Booth or anything of the sort, no, you know, it's a yeah. situation that they were in. Yeah. We've proven that Doug Booth is a great writer. We love his other episodes. So mm-hmm. we know that since this episode is maybe not to the caliber of the others, there's probably good reasons. Yeah, they probably are. Uh, and, and something we talked about in our season one wrap up is these things have a procedure to them and your first idea or your first attempt at something isn't usually your best version of it. And that's mm-hmm. why you have editing and revision. And if they didn't have time for that, I can see how you would land on something that feels as disjointed and weird as this one. So, okay, Laserbeak returns and goes into Soundwave's chest mm-hmm. and to live with all of his other friends inside of there. <laughs> and... So Megatron turns to Soundwave, who informs him that Laserbeak did not see any Autobots in the vicinity. And then Megatron instructs Scavenger to continue his work, which seems to involve slapping the ceiling of their underground base that they've built with his scoop. Not only is this an odd use of his scoop, in my opinion, but it's also something that seems like it'd be easier to do in robot mode. The way you said that was like as if you were Popeye. He's like, hey, you got to give these jewels back to the people you took. So he's he's slapping the ceiling with his scoop? Yeah, it's like his <laughs> okay. scoop arm is like aimed up. And I like how I'm gesturing here as if people can see me. <laughs> and it's just like smacking the roof of the place that they're in. <laughs> Scavenger, continue what you were doing before this episode started. Oh, you mean hitting the ceiling? He's raising the roof. I said raise the roof. <laughs> it's a Decepticon dance party below the earth. <laughs> but yeah, he's like beating on the ceiling with his scoop arm, which is weird. Given that, like, you know, Constructicons, they can turn into robots. They have like all sorts of other tools they could probably use. But like, nope, I'm going to hit the ceiling with my scoop. And yeah. So like what happens? Well, Scavenger is knocking rock and debris down to the floor where Bone Crusher, the bulldozer, is loading it into the bed of Longhaul, the dump truck. 
And we hear both of them speak for the first time, because neither had any lines in the final draft of Heavy Metal War. So finally, maybe we'll get to know these two. And Bonecrusher says, Remove the debris, long haul. Remove! Remove! Always remove! I didn't join this outfit to be a dump truck! Now, Bonecrusher is voiced by Neil Ross, who also does Hook, but Hook sounds more scientific and learned, while Bonecrusher just sounds gruff and angry. Yeah, Bonecrusher is like, uh, how would I describe it? He sounds like a brute. Gruff and bossy. Yeah, whereas Hook is more sophisticated. He, like, Hook drinks wine. Yes. And Bonecrusher <laughs> drinks, like, like really cheap beer. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, even though they're same voice artist, they're very clear and distinct. Now, Longhaul is voiced by Greg Berger, who voices Skyfire and Grimlock. And from our line here, it sounds like Longhaul is a complainer, which makes him my favorite Constructicon. So I hope you'll enjoy my new miniseries from IDW called Transformers Trapped in a Cave, featuring Huffer <laughs> and Longhaul which comes hot on the heels of the smash hit Transformers Trapped in a Cave featuring Gears and Reflector, which of course was the exciting follow-up to Transformers Trapped in a Cave featuring Prime and Starscream, which of (laughs) course was the sequel to Transformers Trapped in a Cave featuring Huffer and Thundercracker, all available now, only in a parallel universe. Oh, you think we'll ever get to meet those parallel versions of us who actually com- who actually finish what they start and, s- and do what they say they're going to do? Oh, I hope so. I need to put them to work. <laughs> so Heavy Metal War wasn't the greatest introduction to the Constructicons, so this episode is going to try to spotlight them a little bit more, and Megatron continues giving out orders to them. Mixmaster, finish the job! Right, right, right! Mega, mega, Megatron! Again, what we have to deduce from Mixmaster is that he's a bit cuckoo. Anytime he talks, he's repeating words or just cackling and being sing-songy. He's weird. That sums up his character. He's weird. Look up his text back. It says, Function weirdo <laughs> so yeah you know this is one of those lines like when it happens and like i encounter it as a grown-up i'm like okay i get what you're going for there but there's got to be another way to do it that just feels like such a it feels like that was the first draft of the line he's got to so- say something that sounds weird right like one of the challenges i've talked about this a bunch of times on the show now like one of the challenges in making comics is how do you write dialogue well, this is for any writing how do you write dialogue so that the character is saying something that services the the movement forward of the story or whatever, the plot, but it also reveals something about their worldview? Like, you know, get the character to say, let's all go out for pizza in that character's voice mm-hmm. that only they can say it, right? Yeah. And, and this just feels like, okay, what's Mixmaster's deal? He's weird. He's kind of, yeah, he's kind of like mentally unstable. All right, we'll just have him say like the same word over and over again. Well, surely you can do better than that. Well, we don't have time. So let's just go forward <laughs> with it. But as a child, I do remember this character because of just this little thing. Like mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, Mixmaster's the one I like. Right? Mm. He's funny. Why is he funny? Well, he says the character's name over and over again. Right? Like I'm I'm ten. Don't come on. <laughs> I've been working on a project for years called the Captain Seriously Project, where it's like I make these comics that are delivered to an elementary school in Michigan, and every year the kids get a new book, and the books are made just for them. I like I consult with the, the school faculty to like 
you know, write stories that address problems that their particular students are going through that year. And when I was doing, doing the original character designs, I did like 20 different character designs that whittled it down to like six. And one of the characters that came up with is like, they, they said they wanted a villain who was like, he uses germs to like get kids to wash their hands more, be more clean. So like, he's like a germ ba- bad guy. And I, and I came up with this character named Professor Von Snotbottom. And, <laughs> And, and, and one of my, and I was showing the characters to a bunch of my friends and one of my friends said like, surely you can do better than snot bottom. Like, what about professor nasal mucosa? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like that, that's funny. Um, but I'm betting a second grader is going to like snot bottom better. And sure enough, like second graders really respond. Like when I say his name out loud, second graders roar with laughter. Fifth graders, not as much. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is worth highlighting that like as adults, our perspective is not always trustworthy. Maybe Mr. Booth understood that a little kid is going to love this. Cause yeah, we both responded to it. Right. So. And plus the Decepticons are, you know, they try to make all their characters a little different, but they don't have a lot of standout personalities. I mean, one guy may be grumpier than the other and the other may be <laughs> a little more of a hot shot than the other. Yeah. But to the uninitiated watching the show for the first time, you know, they're not going to glean that right away. But with Mixmaster, you glean it right away. He's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that to me makes it a little more palatable where it's like, oh, this guy's clearly not like the other Decepticons. I like that. Yeah. And that that's very Sunbowy, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about that a bunch. Sunbow like gives you just enough to imagine. So yeah, so what is Mixmaster going to do when he says, right, 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 Mega, Mega, Megatron? Well, Mixmaster shoots a chemical up into the area where Scavenger's been knocking away at. So he's lubing the edges of where Scavenger's been smacking sort of like this square shape in the ceiling. And this causes a building or some some kind of rectangular prism shape to slide down, almost squishing Scavenger who hops down from the lift he's been working on. And Megatron orders Scrapper to lower the lift and announces that soon New York City will be his. And that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Just an episode ago, Megatron was talking about ruling the entire universe. Uh-huh. And it seems he's had some talks with his therapist and has learned <laughs> to take baby steps. Just like in What About Bob? <laughs> baby step out the door. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. <laughs> Baby step to the doorknob. Yeah. So Megatron's <laughs> going to take over New York City first and then maybe be concerned about the rest of the universe. Now, is this the part? Yes, this part he does the standard Megatron shake my arms at the ceiling laugh. <laughs> yeah. But there's another laugh coming up that I, I really want to talk with you about. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know the one I'm talking about. But okay, so Megatron has made his motivation and his plan clear to the readers, just in case Trailbreaker and Sparkplug are listening outside. (laughs) And so we're done here. Where are we going? Well, it looked like underground. It looked like that a building was sliding down, and we go above ground 
and we see that yes, that is indeed what is happening. We cut to outside and above them, we see a building sink into the ground as an onlooker announces that the Empire State Building is sinking. Oh. So we're really checking things off of our New York City bingo card, this being our third <laughs> obvious landmark. And maybe we'll see Rumble and Frenzy hanging out in Times Square watching the Jumbotron. And then Frenzy will say to Rumble, like, hey, I'm going to go to the bodega. Do you need anything? <laughs> yeah, so like literally the entire Empire State Building sinks into this hole. And once again, it's that three-quarter perspective. It's like not like mm-hmm. like... It's it's kind of three-point perspective, but it's not like a very dynamic shot. You're just watching no. it like slide down into this this square slot. <laughs> so the entirety of the Empire State Building sinks into the ground and disappears. And now the ESB is nearly 1,500 foot tall. I looked it up. So this means the Decepticons are working 1,500 feet below the surface. Now, best I could turn up in research told me that the sewers under New York City only go down about 500 feet. Mm. So let's just assume that the Constructicons have been doing a lot of renovations under there. That's fine. That's what they're built to do. Well, that's true. I mean, they built Crystal City, which we'll find out later. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we join our little Autobot friends on the other side of America, Uh I'd like to point out Laserbeak and his little uh, telekinesis vision, I guess you could say. Yes, please. Because at first I was like, what is he doing? But then it sort of occurred to me, well, the guy doesn't have any arms. He's got to have to have a way to sort of control things other than like grabbing things in his beak. And when he stopped at the door in the sewer, it almost made me think of a garage door opener. (laughs) So he probably has sort of like built-in things that sort of compensate for him not having standard arms to do things with. Maybe. So he's got like sort of a garage door opener kind of (laughs) thing within him. It's like, oh, here's the door that I need to go into. Let me just press the little button in my head and and things open up. So, yeah, I mean, he's he has no hands. He can't really... (laughs) But he, the guy he, for he's used his feet to pick things up before. Like when he steals spark plug in the ultimate doom part one, he like grabs yeah. him by the shoulders. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like any, you know, bird of prey here in our world. So, I mean, I'm cool with that, but it, <laughs> I mean, you could understand how the Decepticons would give him these little sort of uh, additional abilities. I mean, you know, especially season one is all about additional abilities. So if we were to retcon a story, it's like we would do a super cut of every time Megatron's shoulders blink from Laserbeak and like three quarters of the times that his shoulders blink, it's like, let me in, let me in. <laughs> and Megatron's like, oh, it's like Soundwave, give him something else to let so he can let himself in. <laughs> Laserbeak's like, I went out again, I went out again. Oh my gosh, you just went out. (laughs) I mean, all the Decepticons in season one have like a special power, and Laserbeak just can't brag about his. He's got telekinesis. Oh. He he wasn't sitting on the sidelines of Heavy Metal War going, did you see Megatron do that with my telekinesis? You know, (laughs) he doesn't talk, so. That's right. Okay, okay, I buy it. So it's just it's it's interesting that we found a situation where you're more forgiving than I am of, of the show. Let's, <laughs> well, let's it's put a Decepticon, so maybe that. Oh, <laughs> good point. All right, so let's go to my guys. <laughs> we cut to the familiar site of Autobot HQ, 
where everybody's listening to a news report about the disappearance of the Empire State Building. Hold that thought. Did you hear whose voice it was on the, <laughs> who was doing the news report? Because I know you noticed. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, officials are baffled as to the cause of the disappearance of the world-famous Empire State Building. It was Morgan Lofting. Well, always good to hear Morgan Lofting, of course, is the voice of the Baroness in G.I. Joe. And not much for her to do in Transformers, but sometimes she pops up. So the the news people are talking about the disappearance of the Empire State Building and Optimus, who shares some <laughs> DNA with Duke, only has one person to blame when anything weird happens. <laughs> Instantly, he is certain that Megatron is behind this. No, no. Hmm. I wonder if Megatron is behind this. No, it's like Megatron is to blame for this. <laughs> so he orders the Autobots to transform and they get moving. Uh, Prime leaves with Bumblebee, Ratchet, Ironhide, Blue Streak, Trailbreaker, who disappears for almost all of this episode, and Spike. And he tells Sparkplug to radio Wheeljack and have him and the others meet him in Central Park. So we check off another location on our New York City bingo card. If they read off Rockefeller Center next, I've got a bingo. <laughs> Hoovy needs a new pair of seekers. <laughs> and this this is another scene where when we see them leaving Autobot headquarters it's like the background painting looks pretty close to what we're used to but like there's just something like they're so brightly colored and they're at that like sim city perspective as they're all leaving when you think about season one when they would roll out they would be like driving at the camera or mm -hmm. passing over our show like passing around close to us and then like panning to the right and then driving farther away and diminishing in size now this is just them you're like 300 feet up looking three quarters down at them like a security camera as they just like drive slowly out of the headquarters <laughs> It's just like, oof, it doesn't feel very exciting. And then we cut to Wheeljack, Mirage, Hound, Sunstreaker, and Sideswipe using those crazy water skis from the Ultimate Doom to ski into New York. They're driving on the water. And it looks like they're coming in from the east, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're coming me. up upon Ellis Island, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, they're entering the area where you see the Statue of Liberty. So again, it's like... They're giving us obvious landmarks to say, yeah. hey, this is New York City in case you forgot. But I, I think Wheeljack and his buddies were in Jolly Old England visiting Grapple, formerly Holler, <laughs> letting them know that, hey, it's just about time for you and all of your other British Autobot friends to join us in season two. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> well... Seems a little somebody with telekinesis has spotted them coming in to New York. It's that nosy no good con laser beak. Again, sideswipe with the alliteration and funny sounding insults. I gotta imagine that there's some sort of document that has this be a part of Sideswipe's deal. Because yeah. nearly every time Sideswipe opens his mouth, he's referencing some sort of robotic animal. Or he has a funny alliteration thing to say. But man. But anyway, the Autobots just hope that they're too fast for Laserbeak. Because they don't have time to deal with him right now. And then we cut to Prime's team. Who for my sanity, I'm going to hope, were just dropped off by Skyfire. <laughs> and haven't spent days driving cross country. <sighs> Prime gives them the order to increase speed and rendezvous with Wheeljack's team. Yeah, what a weird scene. This scene is like maybe four seconds, five seconds long. It's just like mm -hmm. it just like goes. It does the 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 transformer signal on the screen like da na 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 na, -na and it's like Autobots increase speed to catch up with them. Na 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 na. -na. <laughs> then we're into the next scene. Yeah, it, it really it felt like 
if it felt like something like they did in the Star Wars special edition where it's like, okay, it wasn't really clear. Mm. Let's just add an extra thing in there <laughs> to yeah. bridge these two moments of the episode. It is so like nothing is learned about characters. Nothing's revealed mm-hmm. about characters. It's literally just after saying like, hurry up. <laughs> okay. We got to show them arriving in New York city or else they won't understand. <laughs> so back in, well, let's call it the Septa base under the big apple. Laserbeak is literally squawking to Megatron. So, Prime and the rest are heading for Central Park, are they? Hmm. I think I really liked it better when Laserbeak would radio ahead and Megatron would get a message and his chest lights would go off. And then (laughs) he would automatically know what Laserbeak was saying. Like what we talked about, like they had like a Morse code of sorts that they could Mm -hmm. communicate with. Yeah. Yeah, but this makes me think of Lassie when Lassie would run home and bark and her owner would deduce somehow that Timmy was trapped in the well again. Yeah. What's the matter? <laughs> what is it? You want me to go with you? You found Chipper, is that it? <laughs> Was it more than once? <laughs> I know this is an old joke. Timmy's trapped in the well. But, I mean, was that, I, I have to go back and watch. I, now you got me wondering. Because like, if, if that is the case, that actually is pretty great. Like if they did like a, a season where it's like six times Timmy falls in a well. I would be impressed with their commitment to that idea. <laughs> uh, I did think it was a part of 80s comedy a yeah. lot. And I did watch Lassie all the time on Nick at Night. Okay. It may have not been every episode, but. Again, I don't know. Those are very hazy memories in my head. Now, for our Canadian friends, you would say the littlest hobo. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so Megatron's like, what's that, Laserbeak? Optimus Prime is coming? Excellent. And what does he say next? <laughs> well, Megatron orders Scavenger and Longhaul to use their special talents to welcome the Autobots. And I'm guessing their special talents don't consist of any piano playing or any sleight of hand magic. Uh, but maybe we'll be surprised. Hmm? Cut to Prime's convoy, who have arrived in Central Park, when suddenly... Don't you care snow hanging out in Central Park? Can be hazardous! Who's this now? Why, it's Rumble, Frenzy, and Soundwave. Frenzy making his second appearance at last. And they fire on the Autobots, and Prime gives the order to transform. And Ironhide says... Let's stomp these ones right now! And Rumble and Frenzy both unleash their pile driver arms, shaking the ground as we see the lamest, most dynamic animation ever made, sarcasm, <laughs> of Ironhide just kind of falling over. This is the scene. This is the scene that when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I was just like, oh, I'm out. You know, like <laughs> if I was holding papers in my hands, I would throw them up in the air and walk <laughs> off the set. Because, like, it's first of all, We've established that when Rumble uses his pile drivers or when Sludge stomps or when there's an earthquake, a gigantic fissure has to open in the <laughs> ground that slowly approaches our heroes. And the, the camera angle cocks a little bit uh, at an angle. Everybody like, you know, stands legs apart, uh, arms out to balance themselves like, get ready. <laughs> Nothing like this happens. It's like it's, again, shot on the horizontal. It's like we just put a camera on a tripod standing right next to Rumble and Frenzy. Yeah. Their arms flip around, start pounding the ground. And then the camera shot switches to looking down the field at Rumble and Frenzy. Ironhide walks in front of the camera with his mm-hmm. back to us, 
Not like a three-quarter over the shoulder, not like like that, again, that shot of Braun smashing through the wall. It's like he just like stands like as if it was like, hey, Ironhide, get out of the shot. What are you <laughs> right, doing? Yeah. He's like, he's like, hey, w- w- where's where's the craft food services table? No, Ironhide, move, you know? It looks like that. And then uh-huh. he just like falls sideways. Like yeah. he like just tips. Like he fell asleep suddenly, like he's right. narcoleptic. <laughs> and you hear him go, oh. He just goes, oh, and he falls down. <laughs> It cuts scene right after that, so it's it's almost like burned into your brain because there's no action to follow it up. It's just the da, 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 da. so it's like that's the last image you're left with, and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, so then we where do we go after this disappointment? <laughs> we cut back to Megatron at Deceptive Base under the Big Apple, and Scavenger detects that they're directly below Central Park and that he can detect Optimus Prime is directly above them. So Megatron gives the order to dig, although I'm not sure this can be considered digging, as Scavenger again just hits his scoop against the ceiling, just like before, until the grass above is uprooted, and Prime falls into the freshly made sinkhole, down, down, down into the bed of the waiting long hall below. Let's talk about this real quick. Dig, you fool, dig. Mm-hmm. Scavenger lifts his arm up to the ceiling and pounds a couple times. And yeah. then we see Optimus fall through. Yeah. When Optimus falls through, he clearly falls several <laughs> hundred yeah. feet. Now, again, kid logic. I'm not going to get all persnickety about like how they get to the North Pole from Arizona mm-hmm. in a day. Well, we don't know. They, they left it ambiguous. We don't know how long it took him to get there, right? This is like, no, two seconds ago, you showed the shuffle hitting the ceiling. <laughs> He was there. He was right underneath Optimus Prime or thereabouts, right? He was not, his arm cannot go several hundred feet into the air. He was not on a lift. He was not on a ladder. You know, it's like, it is the, it is such a weird incongruity. Mm -hmm. Now, you did challenge me before we watched this episode. You said, listen to just the audio and then watch it with the video to make a comparison. And I will say, there is some pretty good voice acting. There's some weird voice acting in this one. But like, if you listen carefully to the part when Optimus, is like about to fall and then falls. Like Peter Cullen does a pretty good job here. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was surprised that when I heard it, like how you could hear, like as the pounding is happening, you're hearing him lose his balance, and it's a subtle thing, but it's there. So it's again, this episode is not without some <laughs> some quality to look forward to, <laughs> to look toward. But yeah, so Optimus falls into Long Hall's bed and is just like sort of laying there. Mm-hmm. And the first time we saw Scavenger do this, he was on a lift. Yeah. When he was doing that to get the Empire State Building to come down, he was on this elevator-type lift. But this time, it's like, we don't want to draw that again. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you can reuse the animation. <laughs> yeah, so Megatron then walks up to Prime's splayed body with what looks like a tube of lipstick. He holds it up to the grill of Prime's abdomen area and says he's severed his motor relays. The part where Megatron's holding that lipstick-looking device and he walks toward him, they do the thing that Hanna-Barbera cartoons do a lot. And then this episode also, like animation-wise, it feels a lot like a Challenge of the GoBots episode Mm -hmm. in in the way it looks. They do the thing where they don't actually animate his walk cycle. They just like hold him steady, but then just bounce Mm. him up and down across the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Which, look... I know how hard animation is. I'm not slagging you guys for, you know, taking an expedient way out of getting an episode done fast. But boy, does that stand out compared to what we're used to in this series. (laughs) 
Especially because we're focused on that weird little thing. Yeah. So now if Megatron can make a tube of lipstick that can instantly keep Prime from moving, (laughs) it seems like this new device should be the deus ex machina that the whole episode revolves around. Right. As Megatron just goes around to all the Autobots, touching them with his lipstick, (laughs) paralyzing each one of them. But no, we need a whole New York City subplot somehow. If this were a Transformers Prime episode, that would have been an Iacon artifact. It would have been like a whole episode. So, what is it? Oh, it's an ancient tube of lipstick used by the famed Elita One. You've got the Magnus Hammer. You've got the <laughs> lipstick tube. You got, you got the lipstick tube that if you get poked in the belly with it, you can't move anymore. <laughs> That does feel like like really cool kid logic, right? Like it's it's a thing that if you get touched with it, well, it's like you're playing tag, right? Tag or freeze tag. That that was what we used to play on the playground. Like yeah. if you get hit, you can't move until somebody tags you back in. It's just another example of an item that comes out of nowhere that seems like the whole plot should have been revolving around, but it's yeah. just used that one time like it was no big deal. Well, I feel like, again, if we would have had the kind of animation we had in some earlier episodes after Optimus fell, first of all, it would have been a much more sloppy fall, like when he fell in like mm-hmm. episode three of the series after getting shot out of the sky, like that tumble he took, mm-hmm. it would have looked much more intense. So then, and then he would have tried to get up, he would have like sh- shuddered and then fallen down again. So then when Megatron used this thing, it was very clear that Optimus couldn't fight him back, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, if you have something that can do that, I'm guessing that there would have to be somewhere like I only if they hold very still can I do this right mm. like you can't just walk around like poking at people hey Bobby how you doing pop oh you can't move now hey hound good morning pop you can't you can't move now you know but because this animation is so weird and clunky and kind of slow it's just like Optimus literally falls into like a sleeping in bed position <laughs> so so Megatron then flies up the hole made in the ground and warns the Autobots to leave immediately if they ever want to see their leader again, as New York City belongs to him. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to the Decepticon standing around as Megatron orders Scrapper to activate the lift, and out of the giant hole that the Empire State Building sunk down into rises a new purple tower, which Megatron announces is his new headquarters, the City of New Cybertron. And here we see the Autobots are still standing around like dopes. He turns to them and he says, And if you were to fear one Minicon, I'll melt Optimus Prime down for payback lips. And so here we have the word Minicon, meaning a bit or some kind of unit of measure. Sounds (sighs) weird enough, but extra weird today, as the 2002 series Transformers Armada established Minicons as small little partners to Transformers acting as a sort of power master or target master. So it sounded awkward to begin with, and extra weird now. Yeah, why couldn't we do Astro Inch? Astro Centimeter? <laughs> Come yeah. on! Yeah. Minicon, right? That's, that's almost as bad as uh, Metacroid. Mm. <laughs> you see, I didn't have to say the D the first time. They're not medic droids, they're metacroids. Clever, isn't it? Okay, I mean, and we had another we had another word, micron. A micron is a u- unit of measurement. So like you don't need to say mini you say micron. It sounds just as science fiction y. <laughs> I wonder if it was a typo and <laughs> 
<laughs> Frank Welker just read it as Minicon. <laughs> oh, that that would be funny. I would like to see the original script now. I wonder if it, we're going to see it. It does say Micron. It's like, oh, Frank Welker, you were in a hurry. <laughs> or or he just thought like, ah, that sounds extra science fictiony. Like, well, he is Frank Welker, you know. <laughs> So we here we head to our first commercial break as we see Long Haul speed off with Prime's body. Yeah. So this is a great time for us to speed off into the kitchen for a snack. Oh, thank goodness. I'm hungry. And you know there's a lot of falling through ceilings this episode, so let's have <laughs> some bonkers fruit candy and hope giant fruit doesn't fall through our ceiling onto us. With this extra fruity inside, bonkers is so super fruity. Whoops. Bonkers. Bonks you out. Artificially flavored. Ow, my back! Or let's see if Mom bought us some Keebler E.L. Fudge cookies. E.L. Fudge cookies from Keebler. I feel weird about eating something that has a face. (laughs) Or speaking of Keebler, how about some Tato skins? Mm. Ooh, tasty baked potato, you won't believe your eyes. Cheddar cheese and bacon, sour cream and chives, tasty baked potato, you won't believe your eyes. They're made with potatoes and skins that are real. Potato skins from Keebler, baked potato appeal. (laughs) They're made with potatoes and skins that are real. New potato skins from Keebler, baked potato appeal. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, jingles forever emblazoned into our minds. So, now that we've got that snack, we rejoin the Autobots in traffic, exiting the city, as the entire population of New York City has been evacuated. Thank goodness, because there's some like really crazy fighting coming up and knocking down of entire buildings and <laughs> refitting entire buildings. into they're, they're, they're literally turning New York into Cybertron very quickly, like mm-hmm. hours. Yeah, the Constructicons are efficient. Yeah. But Spike, riding inside a Bumblebee, he has a plan. He has the Autobots exit the freeway. We'll have to see what this great plan is later as we jump back to Decepta-Base under the Big Apple, where Megatron is taunting the paralyzed Prime. But even unable to move, Prime troubles him, so he orders Hook to disassemble Prime. Oh my. Hook whips out what is definitely not a lightsaber, because apparently stealing Star Wars sound effects isn't enough intellectual property theft for this Yeah, we should say, in the very first scene when we see Laserbeak flying through the tunnels, uh, or rather the sewers, like it's clearly like Star Wars spaceship sound effects that they're playing underneath (laughs) them. When Hook breaks out this giant purple lightsaber, it's like... Thunder the Barbarian Sun Sword. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not making the lightsaber noise. But then, like, he just holds it up in the air, and they close in on his hand. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like we're gonna leave the rest up to your imagination because this is gonna be gruesome. All right, <laughs> which it is. I mean, like, he's gonna like vivisect him. I mean, he's gonna tear mm-hmm. him apart. You know. Yeah. So we don't see it. Instead, we transition from Decepticon signal to Decepticon signal, and then the deed is done. We see Prime and literally like 10 to 20 pieces, as Long Haul dumps him out on the floor. Holy moly. I can only imagine young Jersey ran from the TV set screaming at this sight. It's upsetting. It's, again, it's like, I I think, actually, I I have to wonder if if maybe it was a deliberate choice to have this group of animators animate this episode, because I feel like if it would have been a season one episode... (laughs) Had it been done too well, it would have been too shocking and 
horrible to witness. <laughs> That's what I think. You know, it's like I think about how as a kid, how frightened I was in War of the Dinobots when Grimlock and Slag and Sludge are like murdering Optimus Prime and he's like begging for his life. Please, this is senseless. We're friends, you know, and they all fire on him and he falls down to that pit. Like as a kid, that freaked me out. And like I'm imagining this scene animated that well mm. or shot that well and framed up that well. It would probably be very upsetting, but instead it just comes across as once again, it just it looks like a lot of the kind of animation that we saw on Saturday morning shows. Right. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking of CBS Saturday story break or Mr. T and the T Force. <laughs> you said a little about that machine? Uh, no. Good. Yeah. That that Ruby Spears kind of animation. It tells what it needs to tell, but it's missing a lot of emotional data. And also, I like the idea of Megatron being like, well, you're immobilized. Like, this is the two things happen in this episode that are unusual given what we've seen so far of the Transformers. Megatron is not overly confident because he's like, yeah, even immobilized, I don't trust you. I don't, I've worked with you enough to know that, you know, you're probably going (laughs) to find a way out of this. And two is like, Starscream doesn't like say, like, this is stupid. Right. You know, Starscream's out there to go like, excuse me, Megatron, you want to take over the universe? Now you're just going to take over a city? Like, it's somehow Megatron, like, lowering his standards makes Starscream go like, that's actually, that's wise. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's build this thing instead of, like, just take this thing. Yeah, we have yet to hear from Starscream this episode, but he that's will true. pipe up in a little bit. Yeah. But then, so Megatron, like, picks up Optimus's head and, like... He's, like, unconscious until he, like, touches two wires together. Yeah. <laughs> so, apparently, Prime can be hot-wired, just like your typical car. And he <laughs> touches these wires together under Prime's head so Prime can talk. And he holds Prime's severed head in his hands. And then Prime says, As long as power flows through any of my circuits, Megatron, I'll fight you. And with this, Prime telekinetically controls his severed arms as they grab Megatron's shins and push him over. <laughs> it's it's a weird looking scene, but I love the idea behind this. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of like if you were just a head, <laughs> right? Right. And your worst enemy is holding just your head, and you are conscious. Are you going to despair? Not Optimus. He's like, mm-hmm. as long as I can, I will always resist you. That's great. That's a lovely yeah. thought. It looks weird. <laughs> but it's a lovely thought. Yeah, again, it's not animated well. It's just like, he's just sort of like shoved over. Yeah. And you would think I might have a problem with this telekinesis that Prime is using, but I'll touch more on that in a little bit. So Megatron orders the Constructicons to dispose of the rest of Prime's parts, but he's keeping the head. Mm, that's dark. Yeah, this brings to mind a period early on in the comic book, starting around issue 5, where Prime was just a severed head in Shockwave's laboratory. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they cribbed that notion for this script, or if it was merely coincidence. I definitely noticed it as a child. I mean, and I, I had the same kind of wondering. I'm guessing it was coincidence, but who knows? Yeah. Well, we transitioned back to the Autobots. Supposedly, but at first, we just see a shipyard with giant tankers docked. And then suddenly we see Spike halfway submerged in water up to his chest. (laughs) He's just hanging out in the river or whatever. He says he sees it, and then he says, let's go, which is initially completely confounding. But then we see him gesture towards an entry into the sewer system. So Spike is now revealed to be sitting on Bumblebee's head, along with Ratchet, 
Hound, and Mirage, they all walk into the sewer duct, trying to sneak into Deceptibase under the Big Apple. Mm. Then we cut to the Constructicons, or at least Scrapper, Hook, and Longhaul, who have decided to use Prime's body parts in various ways, now left only with the arm, which grips its rifle. They head back up to the surface with a notion on how to use this arm. This part I do like, if only because we get a little bit of the relationship between Scrapper and Hook. Like, we've not seen the Constructicons interact on their own at all. Not much. And so when he's like, you know, I think we've, what does he say? I think we used his parts most creatively. (laughs) 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 And there's something about this that they don't do a whole lot with the Constructicons, but when they do it, I get excited about what it promises is that that they are psychotic artists, right? <laughs> kind of like like Jack Nicholson's version of the Joker in the 1990s mm. Batman movie, right? It's like, I'm the first homicidal artist. I like this idea that like they are brutal and they're sadistic, but they also, there's something artful to what they're doing, yeah. right? And I wish they would have done more with that. Again, it's like Sunbow promises but never delivers. It just <laughs> gives you enough. But I like this sort of professional banter between Hook and Scrapper as they're like congratulating themselves for <laughs> just for turning their enemy's body parts into <laughs> a creative thing, right? which they haven't shown us yet. Well, we cut back to Bumblebee and the gang traipsing through the sewers, and they're using their sensors to try to find Optimus, when suddenly they detect him behind them. They turn to find an alligatorish looking robot with gray, red, and blue parts. Oh. Hmm begin to head their way. And they beat the slowest retreat ever (laughs) as Hound reiterates that he doesn't understand why the censors say that Prime's behind them. You know, where the red, blue, and gray robot alligator is? Can you you put it together, kids? They don't understand why Prime's showing up as behind them where the alligator (laughs) robot is. Hmm. Can I make a quick note about the music in the scene? This, as far as I can tell, is the first instance of the season two soundtrack showing up, mm. which we can note on later as we hear more of it. But like th- th- around season two, G.I. Joe and Transformers begin sharing a soundtrack and mm-hmm. it becomes a, I would call it more generic. I don't want to say generic, though, because I feel like that's insulting to the people who wrote the music. It just it doesn't feel as married to the intellectual property right. as the previous music did like the previous music we had like a decepticon theme dun 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 you know and then we had the noble autobots theme like dun 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 dun, dun, dun. and then you had like various exciting action pieces that they put throughout the episodes and that th- that music's still in this episode but this scene when i was listening and watching it was like up oh, there it is there's the music that we're gonna start hearing a lot more of in this season it's even in like gi joe the movie for crying out loud this music gets used so much but there it is. So if you want to watch for it, it's when the alligator transformer who happens to look like a lot like Optimus Prime, though nobody else seems to notice that it looks like Optimus Prime, <laughs> shows up. <laughs> so the, the, this alligator robot follows them. Yeah, he follows them into a tunnel blocked by a subway car where the Autobots have to make their stand. And Ratchet concocts a plan as he investigates the electric box on the wall. Then has Spike and Bumblebee lure the creature into the subway car. The pair exit the other end safely as Ratchet's electronic tinkering sends the subway car away with their foe aboard. Oh, he's relieved. And so now that they've made the alligator somebody else's problem. (laughs) This is something these cartoons do (laughs) a lot. Like this happens in He-Man a lot where he'll like just throw the monster over a mountain kind of thing. 
And it's like, well, but He-Man, there's somebody over there probably, right? <laughs> they never cut away to the mountain and like a villager having his roof smashed in by a mountain landing on his house and then the monster goes on a rampage in that neighborhood, but He-Man doesn't live in yeah, that right. neighborhood. Like, meanwhile, so in bed all of a sudden the alligator comes out of the sewer and starts wrecking up the place. <laughs> so so then we, we cut to Megatron. Yeah, we cut to Megatron yelling at the Constructicons to work faster as they destroy the city around them. And then we see Skywarp pick up a car and shove it into Mixmaster's barrel as if it were a wood chipper. I'm not sure Doug Booth had ever seen construction vehicles before or knew what they did. This is another one of those scenes. This whole scene is one of those ones where I was like, as again, as a, like a teenager in my early 20s, I was like, oh, and I walked away. <laughs> Megatron's like, work faster. And then like Scrapper is like pushing a bunch of dirt. And he says, look, Megatron, if the Autobots drive down here, they'll be driving into their own grave. And mm-hmm. he laughs. But it's Michael Bell who played Scrapper, but he's doing his sideswipe voice. So we get Scrapper talking with Sideswipe's voice, which is off-putting. It's like, mm. it's like even the laugh sounds really pleasant. It's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, what? That's not how Scrapper sounds. And then, yeah, you cut to Skywarp pushing a car <laughs> into the top <laughs> of a, a cement mixer, which, okay, he's a chemical factory. He can make all sorts of chemicals in that mixing drum. He's from outer space, and so maybe he could, like, eat a whole car. But it's just, it, it feels so out of place, and it feels so, like, weird, like, unnecessarily weird and not joyfully weird. Uh, I yeah, it just, it's it, it, it's like kids' logic, but not really a fun example of it. It's just, it's just wrong. It's just like kids are gonna assume that maybe that kind of construction vehicle can do that because somehow from mixing that car, Mixmaster shoots out five steel girders like his alt mode is a Play-Doh fun factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just put in the Play-Doh, and then I'm gonna shoot out something in this shape. That's what I am. So, kind of odd and off-putting. But now, halfway into the episode, we finally hear from Starscream for the first time, who has been relegated to background shots with Reflector and Thundercracker all episode. Wow. It sickens me to say Reflector, but this one time I have to hand it to Megatron. The place is finally starting to feel like home. So, again, weird, right? Starscream is like, yeah, I'm with Megatron on this plan. <laughs> yeah. Not only has Megatron been to therapy recently, but maybe maybe Starscream has too. <laughs> Learn to accept the things he cannot change. And right. what he cannot change are always Megatron's plans. Wow. But and this is one of the few moments where like you get to see a character not in model sheet pose because Starscream actually walks into the front of the shot a la filmation sort of stock animation and like puts his arms akimbo as we look over his back at the city of new cybertron mm-hmm. and again this is also another shot to look for to like get a sense of what i was talking about with that hyper saturation like the colors are really bright in this episode like starscream's blue on him is really bright blue it's mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't match what we've been seeing so far in the series but so where do we go from here Cut back to Bumblebee's team, and they've managed to discover Prime's head, which Megatron just put on a shelf somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Not even, like, on a plaque on a wall or anything like that. It's just sort of like, I'm going to set it on this table. I'll come back to it later. (laughs) Yeah. And Ratchet reconnects those convenient wires under his head, and Prime explains that Hook disassembled him, and his pieces are now scattered all over. But he is able to detect his legs nearby, and he's able to telekinetically bring them into the room. What? Yeah, so suddenly these legs just 
sort of come flying into the room. <laughs> I'm not as facepalmy about this as you might think, because remember, Prime has a trailer and roller, which he can always control separately from his own body. So it's clear that his normal state is to be in separate pieces. So mm. if it had been Ironhide or somebody else taken apart and he was telekinetically bringing his legs into the room, I'd probably say that was a little dopey and un unnecessary. But with Prime, it's literally canon that he splits into separate pieces. So it kind of makes more sense here. Take a bow. <laughs> ah, listen to all that cheering I hear. <laughs> It's only in his head. <laughs> You're wrong. I do the sound editing, so it's clearly <laughs> right there. I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> so now that Prime's feet didn't fail him now, the gang realize why they detected Prime nearby when they were chased by the red and blue Alligatorcon. Yeah, Spike and, and Bumblebee literally look at each other and say in unison, the <laughs> Alligatorcon! <laughs> Which is another thing I remember saying over and over as a kid. So, you know, can't fault it too much if it made a 10-year-old kid happy. Yeah, I think, I think that that's actually... Uh, the fact that we remember these things so clearly from our childhood is all scoring points for this episode. Yeah. Even though we both groan about it. I think there's, there's something that was clicking correctly. Yeah. So now they have to find the Alligatorcon again. So cut to them finding it almost right away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I guess we right. only have 21 minutes. <laughs> they start wrestling it, and Prime brings it towards them with that magic telekinesis. And we transition again, and Ratchet has disassembled the creature, which was made of all of Prime's missing parts, save for that right arm that the Constructicons had a special plan for. Mm -hmm. And Prime senses that the arm is above ground and has Mirage radio the others to update them on all that's transpired. Can we stop here just for a second? I want to remark on the scene where they're wrestling the alligator. It shows them wrestling it, and then we cut mm -hmm. to looking at uh, Ratchet standing there holding Optimus's head, and Optimus is like, well, maybe I could be of help. And we see like this aquatic telepathy come out of his forehead. <laughs> yeah, Aquaman style. Now, from Aquaman's brain, telepathic emanations fan out through the deep, summoning a giant sea turtle. Like, we don't see what happens. We just hear them saying, we got him, or is it, we've got you. <laughs> and then, like, it, then they all say in unison, all the Autobots say, this alligator is big and heavy. And then Optimus says, from the looks of it, I'd see a little of both. Clearly, they were trying to do something that had warmth and humor here. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on the trying. It just, I don't even know what they were really saying. Like, why Why would they say, why would they all say in unison, this alligator is big and heavy? And why would I have to say a little of both? Whew, it, fe it feels like the most awkward talking with your teacher after school conversation. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like when you're like you're at the school after school and like you run into a teacher and they want to make chit chat with you. And like, you know, you know, I'm 10. I don't know how to chit chat yet. You know, it's going to be weird if we do this. <laughs> it feels like that kind of awkwardness. It's a weird scene. And it's another one of those things that like, again, it's like when I watch it as an older person, I'm like, I don't even because I don't remember. I don't remember how that scene felt to me as a child, but I know how it feels to me as an adult. It's weird. Anyway. So, yeah, then they put it back together. Like, look at he split. Anything can happen when you hear. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's true. 
You don't even need to do a music montage to get something done fast. All you need <laughs> is that Transformers transition music. Well, then we finally cut to Wheeljack, Ironhide, Blue Streak, and Sunstreaker, and they're just casually traipsing down the street, remarking on how Megatron's turned the city into a fortress. Yeah. And Blue Streak glances up, and he finds Prime's arm, complete with gun, grafted to the top of Megatron's new HQ. So it's just purple building, and at the top, <laughs> Optimus Prime's arm holding a gun. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. That to me feels like kid logic, and that I think that works, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, yeah. Like if you turned it into anything that like looked different, it would be hard to make that connection. And how would a kid write a story? Like, remember, one of the most popular comics in the United States is Dogman, which is what's the premise mm-hmm. of that? Like a dog and a policeman, and like they, <laughs> and like the man had to lose his head, and the dog had to lose his body, so they put the dog's head on the man. Therefore, he becomes Dogman. <laughs> you know, it's like you read that, like, yep, that's how eleven-year-olds think. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's keep going. What are you going to do with Optimus's gun arm? Let's stick it on the top of this building. Now we have an unbeatable weapon. Okay. Well, what about the crystal of power in in Peru? Ah, forget that. <laughs> I've got an arm. <laughs> so so we cut to Megatron, who is watching Prime and the gang on a view screen, and he's learned that they've put Prime mostly back together. Soundwave sits at the console and is ordered to fire on them. So then we see the welded-on arm fire on Prime's body below. And Megatron orders him to keep firing as a barrage of fire sends the Autobots scattering down the street. And we also run into our second commercial break. Now, as they close the scene, when Megatron says, keep firing, Soundwave, did you notice that it's just like a, it's like a red Atari button that he's just like pressing with his index <laughs> yeah. finger over and over again? Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Oh, well-designed, everybody. So, yes, let's go into a second commercial break. Are we going to eat some more? Well, since there's a lot of disassembly and reassembly in this episode, Mm. I think we'll enjoy this commercial for Constructs! Mmm! And while we're in building mode, let's play with our Centurions and assemble Detonator so Jake Rockwell can take on Hacker! Power Extreme! Or speaking of building, let's build Voltron and take on evil King Zarkon. Mm, Yeah. Voltron action figures, lions and vehicles, each sold separately from Panache Place. Oh, I got Voltron 2, the lame one. Well, it's got Land Team, Air Team, and Sea Team. No, that's Voltron 1. I got Voltron 2, the lame one. Voltron 2 is the lions? No, Voltron 3 is the lions. Oh, Voltron 2 was the lame one. Yeah, that's the one that didn't get the animated series. They were going to, but then they were like, hey, these lions are popular. Let's Let's bring over more of that. But during all that time building, our anticipation has also built. So let's get back to the show. (laughs) As we return, the Autobots scatter down the street as Prime orders them to transform. Soundwave is still at the computer terminal, remotely using Prime's own arm to endlessly fire on them as Megatron laughs. So I think, speaking of Megatron's laughter, I think it was back when Megatron deactivated Optimus and said something about, like, you know, like, welcome to the world of suspended animation, that he does a laugh where, did you catch this, where he puts his, cups his hands together in front of his belly? Yes. And, like, leans back and does, like, this, I don't know, like a, like a pastor's laugh, you know? It, <laughs> It's, it's like up to this point, he's been like peace through tyranny, like scariest bad guy of all time, the enemy on a poster. And now he's like 
you know, just like calmly, like 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 a like a, <laughs> like a Benedictine monk holding his hands together and like leaning back and chuckling. <laughs> Not very scary. No, but we're gonna get back to Manic Megatron in a minute here because uh, <laughs> there's about to be uh, a home invasion at Decepticon headquarters under the Big Apple, <laughs> but. So what happens next? So Blue Streak and Hound transform and haul down the street only to drive into a huge <laughs> hole in the street. <laughs> Remember, the Constructicons are rebuilding and creating all sorts of destruction. So yeah. that's understandable. And they crash into the subway tunnel below where Frenzy just happens to be driving a train directly towards now, them. Hold on. We also hear Scrapper's voice off panel say, you're just in time to take the A train. And we don't see him at all. He's not there. Right. And then yeah. we see this train coming, and like the train is drawn like a way a child would draw a TV set, and and Frenzy's <laughs> just like sitting in the middle of the front windscreen kind of thing, mm -hmm. smiling, and he says, "Before it takes you, you're just in time to take the A train before it takes you," which sounds an awful lot like a 1980s like horror film trailer, you know, like popcorn, <laughs> buy a bag, go home in a box, you know, but but it 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 still it just doesn't connect. <laughs> And then they start shooting at the train, and like the mm -hmm. lasers are getting deflected off of this yeah. subway. Yeah, they're not doing any damage. But then all of a sudden, the third time they shoot at it, the train explodes. <laughs> so it's like no damage, no damage, no damage, all of the damage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Frenzy just like jumps out of the side as the train explodes. Yeah, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one is weird. So they cut back to Bumblebee and Spike driving down the road with Sideswipe and Sunstreaker, who think they've shaken loose any Decepticons, only to find four taxi cabs on their trail. But it's scarier than it sounds, as these cabs have been modified by the Constructicons into automated Decepticon patrol vehicles. So cannons suddenly emerge from the taxis as Megatron orders Soundwave to destroy the Autobots with these new creations. Yeah. And another patrol of them approach the Autobots head-on, as the Autobots are caught in the middle. And this would be a problem. However, they've all been watching a lot of Dukes of Hazzard, yeah. as seen in the last episode in Changing Gears. So the trio just lift up the front of their chassis a little bit, and they jump over all the oncoming assault taxis. Once again, let's talk about that. Let's look at the animation in Changing Gears when Cliff Jumper does that jump into the solar power generator or the solar catcher or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Or when Braun like, is in a little chasm and he pushes Optimus Prime up into the air and roll for it. Like These scenes look, mm -hmm. even if they're not animated perfectly, they're, they're very exciting looking. This scene where they jump over those taxi cabs, it's like a straight side <laughs> shot. Like yeah. It literally, like you just watch the cars, they just like tilt the cell. So that like the car just like the nose moves up and they mm -hmm. just like, kind of glide over like it like it like South Park right it just looks like they're driving like uh, up an invisible ramp it doesn't look like they're jumping anything there's no sense of propulsion or anything like that it's just like oh let's drive up into the invisible sky yeah yeah and it it really feels like like Monty Python kind of animation or South Park <laughs> animation the way they move again I mean I know these episodes are made fast but this is why this one makes us queasy when we think about it you know it's like it's got a lot of good stuff it's got a lot of weird stuff so then like they're like oh do you hear that and like it's apparently the sound of optimus's engine because he's coming down the street mm -hmm. in, in truck mode like he's like oh i may not have an arm but i can still transform and roll and he's he's coming down the street in truck mode yeah prime was attempting to hide from the decepticons and taxi cabacons <laughs> he transforms and joins with his trailer which pulls up behind him okay 
As Bumblebee and the Lamborghinis speed down the street, we see some Constructicons in these sort of cannon ports at the bottom of a building. They start firing on the retreating Autobots as Prime speeds towards his friends, intending to just ram through all the taxis that are giving chase. And he does so. He just rams through all the Constructicon gun ports after that, smashing them all. So, like, if this were a role-playing game stats, like, Prime in truck mode could just ram through anything. It's like he does mega damage yeah. and, and all these, like, SDC, uh, to quote, like, Palladium. Yeah, the Palladium system. Yeah, it's you like, have super they damage can't, They can't do any damage to Prime when he's in truck mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he literally just, like, drives through the side of the building and the construction council all just, like, blast out of the pods <laughs> that they're in. Like, they just, like, fly away, like, when you use the turtle shell in Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we cut to Ironhide standing in the middle of the street as Prime pulls up, transforms, and then Prime says, that's the way to cool it, Ironhide. It's very awkward because we haven't seen Ironhide cool anything. Yeah. So clearly they had to cut out a scene of him using his liquid nitrogen on something. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that's what happened here. But again, it's another one of those awkward, disjointed things that like doesn't even do that charming Sunbow suggestion of something more complex. It's just like mm -hmm. it's like he just said something way out of left field, and like yeah, yeah, Ironhide does use liquid nitrogen. But if we were tuning into the show for the first time, we have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is is he making fun of the fact that Ironhide's not doing anything? Is he like is he calling him a loafer? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to cool it, Ironhide. Just stand there and don't do anything. <laughs> way to not contribute. <laughs> so then they meet up with Ratchet at the base of the building that has Prime's arm, and Ironhide retracts his hand, exchanging it for a pulley-type device like Jazz has used before. And with it, they start scaling the building as Spike and Bubblebee run up to try to help. And so as that trio scales the building, Megatron and Soundwave watch on the monitor as Soundwave notes that they're out of range of the cannon. So Megatron orders the Seekers to attack. And they transform and strafe the ascending Autobots, but apparently can't pull up fast enough to not crash into the building. So they fly through the building and crash out the other side. And that's enough for Thundercracker and Skywarp to tap out. So this part of the story is starting to turn into full on third act of the Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just crazy chaos action and it's all like over the top and comedic and silly. It's like why in the world would all three jets strafe the Autobots and then fly through the building? Right? <laughs> Because yeah. like there wasn't even a situation where the Autobots like fired back and like they they lost their momentum or their gyro right. the gyro stabilizers went off. It's just like they just fly straight at them and they just yeah. fly through the side of the building. It, it feels that absurdist. Like it feels like like I said like the, like the, the last scenes of the Blues Brothers movie, and it's just going to keep going. I mean, I guess if I want to get really apologist, I mean, the Decepticons aren't used to maneuvering. A city with a lot of tall skyscrapers. They're from Cybertron. Right, but I mean, we've seen there's lots of, like, holes and stuff in the ground in Cybertron. I mean, and they're used to attacking the desert area where the base is. Okay, so you're saying they're out of shape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like, the Rainmakers would show up and they'd be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> they're a little out of practice about maneuvering on buildings, okay. I guess, if okay. I were to be an apologist. Thank you. That makes sense now. 
So so then Sideswipe rockets up to prove Starscream otherwise, and he wrestles Starscream out of the air. Now, I have to say, this is not high praise, but I didn't dislike the animation of Sideswipe, like basically yeah. sort of straddling him or like, Well he's like he's like he's like a wrestler trying to pin him. Like that's yeah. what the pose looks like. He flies up in the air while Starscream's in jet mode, just like clutches onto him with his whole body, like wraps himself all around Starscream. The way like you know, if you've seen two wrestlers fully engaged, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, he it, it's not a bad looking scene actually. And there's a lot of stuff that's not bad looking. We're just like getting really worked <laughs> up about the stuff that doesn't look so great. <laughs> but yeah, he he flies up and and it's it's just again compare it to the scene when Sunstreaker and Sideswipe do their jet judo in roll for it, but. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look wonderful, but it looks good. (laughs) That's sort of the state of things for this episode. When things look good, we're like, "Hey, that (laughs) that doesn't look horrible." Yeah, and and this is another scene that, like, as a child, it really connected with me. Even though I knew absolutely nobody who said what Sideswipe says here. (laughs) Say, Uncle, or I'll shove your nose in your afterburner. <laughs> I didn't know Decepticons had uncles. Yeah, so here Sideswipe is clearly giving Mirage some competition for the Autobots' dumbest comedian. <laughs> <laughs> but like the whole like you know, I remember seeing this. Like my first encounter with this whole idea was in a Christmas story. Like I'll say uncle or I'll hurt you kind of thing. Mm. And I've never like until that point I had no experience with that. Did you? With kids doing the little playground? Yeah, I mean I was familiar with the phrase. I mean it wasn't very common, but I knew what it meant enough. Oh. And as a kid I probably I probably got a kick out of, you know, sideswipe using Earth lingo. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it could have been something like <laughs> a selenium groundhog or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just grateful it wasn't that. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, this is one of the most things that again, hinting at rather than promising is like a character archetype in Transformers to come for many years is the young hotshot, the young cheerful hotshot who, mm-hmm. who who doesn't let his feathers get ruffled by the bad guys and is and in fact makes their feathers ruffle because he so joyfully engages with them in combat. I like that kind of character. You know that. I mean, we've talked yeah. about this character for years, but like we don't get a lot of that with Gen One. So I'm always grateful for it when it happens. And Starscream goes crashing down into the bay. So watching the Autobots on the monitor, Megatron stops fooling around and orders the Constructicons to form Devastator. Wheeljack runs around a corner just in time to see this, and he almost gets stepped on. <laughs> I like I like how Wheeljack is just like still walking around. <laughs> That's all he's been doing this whole episode. <laughs> and then Devastator smashes through a building and then begins climbing after the trio of Autobots, so... We finally get to that image where Devastator's climbing a, a building. Yeah, it's the King Kong image. And like they, they even like telegraph it like, they're very clearly with Wheeljack in a minute. But like they've given him at least a clear reason. He's like, Devastator wants vengeance. Devastator wants Optimus Prime. Well, uh-huh. why would he want vengeance? Well, that's the last time we saw Devastator. Optimus shot him in the stomach and he exploded <laughs> into his constituent parts, right? Yep. So... So yeah, so like there's a call back to Heavy Metal War, and now he's climbing a skyscraper while Optimus is racing to get to the top of the skyscraper to get his missing arm. And while Megatron and Soundwave watch on the monitor, Spike and Bumblebee have managed to get inside the building. 
and they enter the room through the elevator door. But they're detected by Soundwave instantly, who alerts Megatron. And Megatron begins firing on the two as they run around the room towards the computer, which causes Megatron to fire on the computer, thus severing their control of Prime's arm. <laughs> and now I'll go into the kitchen for a snack, since Jersey will want to talk for 45 minutes about how brave Bumblebee and Spike are to do this. They are the two best people to do this, because they are the weakest, they have the least ability to overpower these two guys. You have like the most powerful evil dude in the universe and the weirdest dude in the universe sitting in that room just now. Yeah, I know Mixmaster's weird. Not as weird as Soundwave. <laughs> Mixmaster's weird and like, oh, I don't want to sit next to that guy at lunch. Soundwave's like, I don't ever want to be in the same room with that guy. Do you remember that guy? He had the people in his chest that he pets like pets, but then also talks to them like people. Weird. And who are you going to send? Well, we could send Skyfire. He's awful big. You could take him down. No, we're going to send Spike and Bumblebee to sneak in. And then what does Spike do? Does Spike say like, oh, excuse me, Megatron, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but you really shouldn't do this thing. And boy, oh, I'm awful nervous. No, he says, you'll never, what is it? You'll never catch us Mega Klutz, which drives <laughs> Megatron crazy. He gets so mad. He's like, don't, yep. you called me Mega Klutz. Like, apparently that is like one of the top five bad words to use on Cybertron. <laughs> Like, or it's like it's like a Marty McFly trigger. <laughs> yeah, are you chicken? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm imagining some kind of like analog to George Carlin on Cybertron. Who like mm. when he when he says like mega clutch, everybody's like, oh, and they cover their ears and Alvatron's like, oh no, don't do that. Like, why would you use that word? And so like Spike just walked into Megatron's house and said that word, which is like spitting on the carpet, and Megatron loses his mind and starts chasing him <laughs> around, shooting up everything. Yes. Spike and Bumblebee are unequivocally the best characters in this entire series. <laughs> <laughs> well, then a little something happens with less than three minutes left in the episode. The console is now inoperative. I can no longer maintain weapon control. No matter! Send Bassar laser beam to take care of the Earth! What? Here we go, installment three of our segment. Buzzsaw has debuted. Wow. We've gone 19 episodes without seeing Buzzsaw, and he was available in the line from day one. Buzzsaw is simply a repaint of Laserbeak, transforming into a condor, but where Laserbeak's, I guess you could say, bird back is red, Buzzsaw's is gold. He actually came with Soundwave in 1984 and continued to come with him until the figure was discontinued. And we will not see him in the cartoon all that much, as there really wasn't a huge need to advertise him if they were already advertising Soundwave. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> no kid was going to see Buzzsaw and go, oh, I gotta get him, but I don't want that dumb Soundwave toy. Right, like they bought Soundwave and then handed Soundwave off to their sibling. <laughs> and they're like, ah, the prize is mine. <laughs> So it's kind of like how they don't show Roller that much. It's not going to send many people out wanting Prime. So so Buzzsaw does the exact same kind of stuff that Laserbeak does. So it's handy to have more than one. Laserbeak can't patrol all of New York by himself, so it's just not efficient. So add Buzzsaw, and you can cover twice the ground in the same amount of time. So whatever cloning process Soundwave used to make Frenzy from Rumble, it's my fanon that the same was done with these guys. 
Now, if you remember, I jokingly suggested back in episode 14 that since we never saw Laserbeak escape from Jazz's tape deck in that episode, Soundwave could have built Buzzsaw as a replacement, only to have Laserbeak escape and return later. Awkward. (laughs) Or at any point, Megatron could have requested another Condor, since Laserbeak is always super helpful to their cause. And as for why no Vector Sigma was necessary, well, I respond, A, it's just cloning, and 2... I want to put forward the notion that animals like Ravage and Laserbeak are creatable, just like the Dinobots were. No Vector Sigma required. They're sort of a slightly lower life form and thus don't have the degree of intelligence of a Vector Sigma created robot can have. At least not at first. Now, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but we do see Ravage appear again in Beast Wars. And by then, he's a full-on robot. Spoilers. Obviously... Some kind of evolution occurs, and that may have required Vector Sigma, but we're talking about Buzzsaw here, and Buzzsaw is simply a copy of Laserbeak, who is a sort of lesser being, quote-unquote, than your typical Transformer. Now, animal lovers, don't at me. I love animals. (laughs) I'm just saying that they're not quite as... They're cognitively distinct. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I actually, I really like that idea a lot. I like the idea of there being, because like Teletran 1 is obviously some, has some kind of sentience, right? Mm-hmm. But Teletran 1 is cognitively distinct from the rest of the Autobots. Right. He or it has its resources allocated in different ways. Same mm-hmm. with the tapes. I love this idea. This goes back to like Star Trek Enterprise and like the whole idea of the Zindi. Right, like mm. a, a planet where you can have five distinct species who all achieve consciousness. Yeah, I love this idea that maybe the Transformers suggests that people with different cognition or cognitive perception, or, or what they would call neurodiversity, can coexist and rely on each other's strengths and you know where where other people's weaknesses lie. So, bravo, mm. Chef's kiss, love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so smart. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. And so they're sort of treated like pets because they basically are. If you notice, when Soundwave ejects his tapes, he often gives them direct orders. So they almost react similar to how an AI program is ordered by a human or how you tell your dog to sit and fetch Mm. and do things like that. But I'm getting a little deep in the weeds. But the point is... I think you pick up what I'm putting down. It's just another Hoover theory, and Buzzsaw is just sort of like a clone of Laserbeak that Soundwave can create without any help, Uh, so that's why he exists. And about eight episodes from now, we're going to revisit this a little bit, but for now, that's enough. So Mm. that's my fanon. So back to our story. Buzzsaw and Laserbeak are both ejected. However, we do cut to outside, where Devastator has now scaled the building and he's grabbed Prime. He swats Ironhide and Ratchet off the building, and he taunts Prime. And then we cut to Hound and Wheeljack, (laughs) who have somehow made two helicopters into drones all of a sudden. And Wheeljack says he saw this once on an Earth television transmission. (laughs) I don't mind the idea behind this. I just mind the way it's executed. (laughs) Because he sends the helicopters off to, you know bother devastator 
Mm-hmm. And then we like we just see the helicopters head towards Devastator, and then it cuts back to Wheeljack and Hound, and Wheeljack mm-hmm. looks sad, and Hound's like, "Oh, don't worry, maybe Devastator saw the same picture." And like, <laughs> but what happened? Yeah, we never really see Devastator smash the helicopters, but it's you know it's sort of implied that it didn't is do it implied? <laughs> well, I mean, story wise, it is, but visually, no, no. <laughs> It's like visually they just cut away and then Wheeljack sat. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. It's like it's like you know, like your parents editing their super eight millimeter film <laughs> where it makes that jump cut where it's like, oh, it's like six hours later now. The light is totally different. Thanks. Way to go, Dad. <laughs> so Ratchet and Ironhide come to and they hear Megatron egging on Devastator on the floor above them, and they get an idea. They shoot the ceiling. And Megatron and Soundwave come crashing down to their floor and continue to fall through this floor. Because in this cartoon, as we've talked about before, every flat surface you walk on is just made of Kleenex and fruit roll-ups. You can just crash through at any moment. This is like Blues Brothers meets Police Academy meets like, okay, (laughs) we got to have some kind of slapsticky third act to really make the laughs happen. And this this feels just like that because they look at each other and they smile and they shoot the ceiling. Megatron suddenly fall in this (laughs) super silly way. And then like Ratchet and Ironhide shake hands afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And Devastator continues climbing the building with Prime in his hand. Bumblebee and Spike have made it to the roof via the stairwell. They yell to Prime that the connection to Prime's arm has been severed, but just then Buzzsaw and Laserbrick emerge and attack the helpful duo. Prime says that's the news he's been waiting for, as he commands his arm to swat at the passing Buzzsaw and Laserbeak. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Devastator boasts that an arm can't stop him, and Prime agrees, but adds that it's lucky that his arm is holding a gun, and it fires on Devastator who then falls off the building. But then we see that Ratchet has leaned out a window and he's holding Ironhide by the ankles and Ironhide has managed to catch the falling prime. And the animation certainly does not sell this as feasible at all. No. But we get it and we just move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we just, yeah, it's it's not a great looking shot. And then we see Devastator like fall to the ground and when he hits the ground, does he stop and does the pavement crack and does he look unconscious? No, he just falls through the ground and keeps on falling. <laughs> yeah, cut to the inside of the earth and Devastator's just falling through molten lava and he's falling through the center of the earth and then he just basically pops up on the other side of the earth in China or where. Yeah, like... <laughs> Yes, they did that in The Simpsons where he's like passing by Morlocks, Chuds. And <laughs> so so Devastator's taken out and he's gone. And the Autobots rush up to the hole in the ground. Then the six individual Constructicons fly up out of the hole, visibly damaged by the fall, so they just flee. Megatron and Soundwave then emerge from the building and they also flee. Megatron vowing that he'll return. And then one final scene change as Optimus is testing out his reconnected arm, which he says is just as it always was, like the rest of New York City, (laughs) meaning they've somehow undid everything Megatron did, so maybe this is days, weeks, or months later, and Ratchet just wanted an arm update? I don't know. Yeah, it's like, it's like like he did a good job once, and then like three weeks later, he's like, hey, how's that arm doing? Yeah. Still good? (laughs) 
Yeah, I did that. <laughs> I fixed it. <laughs> it's like, yes, it's fine. <laughs> Just like the rest of New York City that we were all working on while you were thinking about how you fixed my arm. <laughs> Maybe that's what that scene was about. <laughs> so let's just shake our head and say, sure, and move yeah. on. So Prime gives a command to transform and roll out. And as they do, as they drive towards the camera, we see Bumblebee has a I Heart New York bumper sticker. Aww. Well, if there's anybody who's going to get souvenirs in New York, <laughs> it's either going to be Bumblebee or Hound, right? <laughs> I got some souvenirs. <laughs> but he's like actually got the statue from Rockefeller Plaza. And like, Hound, no. <laughs> I'm Raj. Do you want to pick up some souvenirs? <laughs> no, I just want to go home. <laughs> Those won't fit in my home. <laughs> I don't have enough room in my home. So the episode is done. Yeah. Whew. Whew. It's a toughie. This one was a toughie, Hoover. Yeah, this uh, one was a bit of a slag. I feel like it doesn't help that it comes so soon after such a serious first season. And, you know, again, I have very mixed feelings about how serious the first season is. And, you know, and like I've always, every successive Transformers series, I'm like, I just hope it's fun. I hope it's fun. Well, this one is trying to be fun. It's just, it's not cohesive fun, if that makes yeah. sense, right? And like, there, there's there's a kind of incohesive fun that can happen, like in, say, the 2001 Robots in Disguise show, where you can have like really odd ideas, like Skybite who can like swim through the ground and like likes to write poetry, you know, and comes up with silly plans like let's dress up as Autobots and attack the Decepticons. But I feel like that's baked into the entire season, right? The whole season yeah. feels that way. Whereas this feels like it's a taste of that in a sea of, relatively speaking, very serious shows. So it sticks out in an odd way. It, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. But that said, you and I have both responded with like, well, when we were kids, we liked this line. We liked that line. You know, we remember yeah. quoting it a lot. So I can't help but think that like somebody was right when they said like, hey, let's make this thing more appealing to young kids. Let's have more fun stuff in it. So, yeah, I think if you're eight and under, it's fine. I mean, the animation is still bad. And even as a kid, I noticed it mm-hmm. and I didn't like this episode as much as I did other episodes. So naturally, of course, this is one that I was able to tape off TV. So it's like, instead of having a lot of cool episodes, I had this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the animation really makes a not so great script even worse. So if you watch it, just turn away from the television and stare at that nice artwork you have on your wall or admire the graphic design of your sack of Oreos. You know, just just don't watch the screen. <laughs> Imagine it in your head, because it can only look better there. Yeah. Whew. Okay. So, uh, what do we got as a palate cleanser? What are we doing? What, what episode are we doing next? <laughs> next episode is Attack of the Autobots. Oh, that sounds odd. Is this oh, the Autobots attack? They're peace-loving creatures. Well, are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, not against trees, as we learned in Changing Gears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting, you know, it's like we entered this with the whole premise that like I'm the Autobot lover and like I'm just finding all sorts of issues with, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to like relearn to love them, you know, like, what's, what's lovable about a person is their faults. Well, they got a lot of them. We're going to come out at the end of this and I'm going to be the Autobot fan and you're going to be the Decepticon fan. <laughs> it's going to be a transformative experience. Hello. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, Attack of the Autobots features the brilliant line, first drain evil then recharge good. <laughs> yes. Am I right? Okay, good. <laughs> you are correct. 
Uh, I look forward to this one too. There's well, actually, this one also has one of my very, very favorite moments in Transformers history. And you know the one I'm talking about. And anybody who's familiar with the episode will know the one I'm talking about. Oh, gives me goosebumps every time. <laughs> so okay, well, then we'll come back and do that one next week. So thanks, Hoover. Thank you, Jersey, and thanks everyone for getting through this episode with us. <laughs> You, you are not the greatest episode to re-experience. You are all Autobots now. <laughs> all right. We record the show weekly and it drops on Thursdays and you can mm-hmm. find it in your favorite podcatcher or at 4millionyearslater.com. Tell your friends, tell your parents. And until next time, I have been Jersey Droz to 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Droz on Instagram. I have been Hoover of Steel. Okay, bye. Bye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>